and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, empaths. We hope your week is already off and running to a great and fantastic start. We're going to be discussing a topic that is filled with so much nuance and illusion and hopes and fears. Today, we're talking about money and the empath. Denise and I decided to read a book together. The book we chose was Happy Money by Ken Honda, and it's about the Japanese art of making peace with your money. It's a really great read, and it made me think about my relationship, my attitude, and my emotions connected with money. And so we thought we would just kind of share our thoughts and our overview of the book and give you some questions and things to ponder as you really contemplate what is your relationship with money? Is your money happy? Is that something you've ever thought about, Denise? I haven't. And I've done a lot of personal work around lack, insecurity, instability, that scraping by versus how do you embrace there being enough? What is enough? I mean, I think it's a big, big, big rabbit hole that we all dance around the edge of. And this book is a great way to look at some different perspectives on how to make a stronger and more positive relationship with money. Yeah. I don't think I've ever looked at my money and thought, are you are you happy? <laughs> no, but there are so many little rituals or little things you can try that might help shift that to it being a more positive topic, especially during these times where there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety around money and security. Oh yeah. That is so true. He talks about how everything is energy and the money we have is energy. And so when he discusses happy money, what he's saying is if you receive money with joy and if you give money with joy, you're going to have happy money. But if you receive money with anxiety or resentment, like, damn right, I earned that paycheck. Or if you give money, like paying off a bill or a student loan, you're writing out that check or sending it off electronically through the through the internet, and you're thinking, ugh how many more payments, then you don't have happy money. And I really I really liked looking at it that way because I do think that is really, really important. He, The whole first part of the book is talking about how money is an illusion. And this is something I have been talking about and thinking about for years. Ever since, you know, I think it was in the 1970s when we don't have like a dollar doesn't actually mean there's a dollar of gold in, the, in Fort Knox, right? It's all been deregulated and it's just strange. So money has been an illusion probably forever, but definitely what we see as money, what we're holding as money, it isn't really even silver anymore. It doesn't represent gold anymore. It's just paper. And now that we have cryptocurrency and Zelle and Venmo and PayPal, it's even more of an illusion now than ever. That's really true. And I think people's relationship needs to change as this dynamic changes. Because when you really break it down, we do need or desire or there needs to be some form of exchange. And you and I have talked about that in a lot of different ways when we've taught classes that if you're giving a service, there needs to be an energy exchange. And globally, the energy exchange is usually financial and money, goods for services. Yes, exactly. And so I think it's important to always contemplate what is the exchange I'm getting here? Is it even? Is it balanced? Now, here's something I never thought about. He says, 
if money is an illusion, so he proves how it really is an illusion. You know, he says, even when you deposit money, a paycheck, whatever, into the bank, it's gone. The money's lending it out. The bank is lending it out to someone else. So it's all an illusion. He says, if if the money you have is an illusion, then can't you look at the money you owe as an illusion? What do you think about that? I'm thinking that there are some people listening that are, have bill collectors, excuse me, that may have bill collectors or debt, or, or it might feel like there's no way I'm going to get out of this. And they're saying, they're probably thinking some pretty colorful words about that statement, but I do agree with it. Yeah. I really do agree with it. I guess I do too, but you know, I can think of if you're like a, like a spendthrift and you're like, oh, well, that car payment's just an illusion. So sure, I'll add this to my shopping cart. <laughs> I think you could get into trouble. Well, and see, that's a really good point because it comes down to where are you willing to put your resources and what becomes the priority? So if you have the car payment or you're living hand to mouth and a group of people say, oh, we're going to do this. And he mentions this in the book, the FOMO, fear of missing out, or am I keeping up with the Joneses? Am I, everyone is wearing this new style and I can't afford to have it. If you've fallen into that trap, or if you've fallen into that comparison study of what someone else has, it's really hard to find the joy in in your own financial situation. Oh, I fall into that trap. I think about all the time. My dad retired in his mid fifties and mm-hmm. I went to see my financial advisor a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, that's not happening for me. Denise. <laughs> and so I think we can compare ourselves to not only like our, our parents or our siblings, but our peers, everyone around us. You know, I think we do that all the time. I had a teacher years ago and I really, this stayed with me. She was talking about how our expectations have just gone through the roof and they're so unreasonable. And she used TV shows to prove it. And she showed, uh, take, I don't know if younger viewers will know this, but uh, Dick Van, the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm-hmm. He was a writer on a very famous late night talk show, like a, like a Johnny Carson. And he lived in a two bedroom apartment, like a very simple apartment. And then she looked at Bewitched. Her husband, Darren Stevens, if you remember, was an advertising executive in New York City making, you know, really good money. And they lived in in a, what is it called? Four, four and a door, you know, four rooms down, four rooms up and a front door. A very beautiful colonial, but nothing elaborate. And so she was using all these sitcoms from the 50s, 60s, and 70s that just showed normal living. One day at a time, the single mother lived in a two-bedroom apartment. And then she takes it to the 90s where you have friends and you've got, what, a a waitress and I don't know, what did Ross do? An anthropologist or something? Uh, Paleontologist. Yes. Okay. And they live in this like elaborate, beautiful apartment with this gorgeous view and just how unrealistic all of that is and how, so it's not even our peers or our family that we're comparing ourselves to, but the the, uh, fake reality we're seeing on TV is insane. Right. And you can see the influence with media, with what's valued as uh, success. Yes. Yeah. I was speaking with someone recently and they were talking about not having enough, not having enough money. I don't have enough. And I said, well, what is the number that would be enough? And there was no answer. And she said, well, just enough. And that goes back to when you've always said, this that being one of your words for this year is enough. 
that's a very individual thing. What might be absolute over the top abundance, wealth, and stability for me, for someone else might be, oh my goodness, I can't scrape by on that. So it's such an individual relationship as well. That is such a good point. But you make another good point. What's your number? This is something I'm really, really passionate about is facing it all. I think a lot of people who have debt, they just don't want to think about it. They don't want to look at it. They don't want to face it. And I don't think you can tackle or heal or overcome anything you don't face. So I will often tell people, write down everything you owe. I'm not talking about just the credit card payment or the student loan debt. I mean, what's what's left on your mortgage? What's left on your car payment? Everything that you owe in the world, write it all down and have that number in your head. It's actually very comforting because you know, now you know. And then you write down all of your monthly bills And I do think it's important to write down your monthly bills, but then write down all the extras, you know, Uh, birthday gifts for friends, teacher gifts, uh, getting your hair cut, you know, all those, all those extras that we have to throw in and get your monthly number to where it has to be in order for you to scrape by and then get your monthly number to where it should be in order for you to exhale and feel relief on that day where you sit down and pay all your bills and let that second number be your goal. But if you don't have those numbers in your heart and your mind, you're not going to manifest them. You're not going to magnetize them to you. I think another really important part of, of all that you're saying is not to fall into the shame of having allowed yourself to get into that financial situation. So I did. I had significant debt several years ago, and I worked two jobs to get out of that debt. And I did exactly what you're talking about and wrote everything down and snowballed it. And you start with the smallest debt and you pay it off and then you go to the next one. And it absolutely sucks to work and work and work and have every penny go towards old debt. But you're right. When you get on the other side of it, during that process, it changes your relationship with money, but it also empowers you to say, I don't think I ever want to be back in these straits again. But it's yeah. not an easy process. No, it's not an easy process. And I think you're you're so right about the shame of it. I don't know that I've ever met someone who got into debt because they just went to Target too much. The The people I know that have been in debt, it's medical health bills. It's a traumatizing divorce. It's life, life it, throwing crap at you. Well, and for me, it was being a single parent and, you know, your kids need braces, they need shoes, they want to play a sport and it's not extravagance. It's just maintaining life. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think you're right. You've got to heal that shame. He has a whole section in the book on the myth of scarcity. I really liked what he said because he says the myth of scarcity is where you only see what you don't have and what you aren't doing. A scarcity mindset leads to fear, jealousy, and greed. And when you get what you want, it's never enough. There's always something newer, bigger, and better. And then he says, every argument, every prejudice, every petty disagreement comes down to the idea that someone is getting something I am not, which is at the heart of scarcity. I thought it was really powerful. Every prejudice, every disagreement, every argument comes down to this myth of scarcity. I think he's spot on. I really do. I do too. And that idea of, he remember the section where he talks about it's not fair? 
Mm -hmm. people are always like, it's not fair. Like he makes more, she's earning more, or she has this new car or he got the promotion. And he says, we've got to get over that phrase. It's not fair. Right. Because that leads to that fear of there not being enough that, and when you get into the compare, well, we've taught that for years in, in our classes is don't compare yourself to someone else because that's not going to improve your connection with spirit. To me, this is the same exact thing. If you start getting into that, and it's hard, it's really, really hard, especially if you're in a part of the country or the world where it seems like everyone else else's life or situation is so much easier than your own. Yes. That, oh, and I, I want to talk about that with different parts of the country. He mentioned that study. I've read it. I'm sure you guys have seen it too. They They really, really studied money and happiness, and they showed that if you make $75,000 a year, that's the magical number for happiness. And anything beyond that doesn't really increase your happiness. Now, I can see that where I live in the South. I can't see living in LA making $75,000 a year being like on top of the world. Right. No. So I, I just wondered about that study. Like they should skew it for different areas of the, the country and the world, don't you think? And is it still a realistic number? Yeah. Based I mean, on $75,000 a year where I live is great, but I don't know what it would be like where you are up north or especially on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. If you get into any metropolitan area and then if you go into the Midwest, I spoke with someone recently who had moved from Seattle to the Midwest who was almost in shock about the difference in uh, what, what, what they were able to have in their life in comparison financially, but it also depends on where you're happy. And if think if you've made peace with the money, but you're right, what is your magic number? Not what they're saying it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think whether it's 75,000 or 150,000, I think the point of the study is that at some point, more money does not make you happier. So what popped into my head when you said that was there's this real push right now for a minimalist lifestyle. People are still on the tiny homes. They're downsizing. They're letting go of stuff. They're they're simplifying their lives. Not everyone, but there's a significant population that are. Does that actually make it easier to find more joy with your money when it's not going to extraneous resources or stuff that you don't really want or need? I think that depends on the person. I agree. I agree. Everything in this book kept bringing it back to, yes, you can read this, you can apply it, but it's getting closer to what, what resonates with you in your own heart and your own being. So yeah. if you grew up working or in poverty or where there wasn't enough, you're going to have a different mindset than if someone grew up never, ever having to worry about anything financially. It's the nature nurture of money, I think. You're going to have a different perspective. Well, he talks about that a lot in the book, how you have to look at your childhood very, very carefully with a fine tooth comb and look at the messages you were covertly or overtly taught about money. How did your parents talk about money? What was their attitude and energy like when they were sitting at the kitchen table paying bills? Did they argue about money? Um, what what was their energy around money? Because he said, whether you know it or not, you've taken that on in some way, shape or form. Like, remember what he talks about? There's different types of money people. And one of them is the spendthrift. And, you know, they just love to, they're lavish, they're generous, they'll buy drinks for everyone. 
Um, he said, these, these are the life of the party. They're super fun. Usually those people were raised by miserly parents who just held on to every penny. So it's not, he's not saying that you're going to duplicate or replicate exactly what your parents did, but he is saying from the way I interpreted it, that however you handle money today is directly rooted in what you were taught as a child. Right. Unless you do that deep work of deciding it doesn't have to stay in that same mindset. So you can always switch it out. Always, always. And he has these really good questions. And I, can I go through them real quick? I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd love that. Okay. So one of them he says is, does money help you with what you want to do or is it an obstacle in your way? So meaning the money that you're trying to manifest, is it going to help you do what you want to do? The money you have now, is it helping you do what you want to do? Or is there something you want to do and money is the only thing holding you back? Do you want to get out of a relationship, but you can't afford to live on your own? Do you want to get out of your job, but you you can't afford the maybe three months of unpayment where you'd be looking for a job or you can't afford the schooling needed to get the job you want? So he says it's really important to identify is money helping you or hindering you right now because that's going to help you shift your energy focus with money. He also says, do you like money? Do you like money? And I really want people to think about that because I I have a friend who is just not in a healthy relationship with money. And every time she sees people spend lavishly, she judges them including me. Not that I lavishly spend, but you know, Denise, <laughs> I'm a little bougie with my lashes and, and my trips to the salon. And and she'll, she'll always say, how much did that cost? And I know what she's doing is saying, you know, money is not really a good thing. And I'm constantly trying to show her because, you know, you and I have a lot of really wealthy clients and I think the wealthy clients I know and have worked with are just amazing, fabulous people. And they're so incredibly generous. So I'm always trying to like come up with examples of wealthy people I know who are doing great things because I'm hoping that will heal her attitude about money because she sees it as lavish, foolhardy, greedy, and not giving to the church or to the poor. Whereas I think it can be both. Right. And that goes back to what I was saying a minute ago about the us versus them mentality when it comes to money. They have it, I don't. Or how could they understand what my life is like because they have X, Y, and Z? That's a big issue. That's mm-hmm. a really big issue. And I, I think a lot of it comes, and Ken Honda does bring this up in his book, it's that anxiety of a fear that it's going to run out. There isn't going to be enough. What am I going to do? Am I going to be homeless? Will I be able to pay my bills? And getting peppered with that all the time, that can keep you stuck in that place as well. Yeah. Yeah. The other question he says is, does money like you? Now, that's something I've never thought about. Again, I've never looked at those little green paper bills and gone, do you like me? (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's a really interesting thing to think about. And if you can shift that attitude, I think it would help you become more of a money magnet. You know, yeah, money loves me. Um, then he says to ask yourself, what stories do you, do you tell yourself about money? Mm-hmm. What does money mean to you? And this, this, I think we could do a whole show on this. Does it mean freedom, peace of mind, security, power, 
what does money mean to you? I think your answer will reveal a lot about your relationship with money. Don't you? I agree. I agree because that then you're tapping into that deep rooted stuff and it's not, and this sounds sarcastic, so please forgive me. It's not the old thing. I'm going to write a uh, check for a million dollars and put it on the, to myself on the refrigerator. And then it's going to magically manifest. This is going deeper and going to the family of origin work, going through the patterns you may have established as a young adult or as an, in your adult life out of desire and necessity and really looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, this is who I am, where I am now. What is my relationship with this? Yeah, exactly. And the last question that really freaked me out, he said, if money were a person, who would it be? So I have to tell this story, Denise. My my little dog, my my best little buddy, Lily, had a health scare. And so I had to rush her to the vet yesterday and they had to work me in. So I'm just sitting in the waiting room with Lily on my lap and I'm finishing up this book and and just trying not to worry about Lily or how much the vet bill will cost. And I'll get to that in a minute. And I come to this part where he says, if money were a person, who would it be? And so I closed my eyes and I'm like, who, who, if I personified money and I, without thinking the first image that popped into my head was Meryl Streep playing Miranda, the evil boss in the devil wears Prada. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think that is how I look at money. Money is like this, this judgy taskmaster telling me, Samantha, you got to work, girl. You got to keep on working. You got a whole family to support all by your lonesome. And so it made so much sense that in my mind, money would be this <laughs> very fashionable, <laughs> but intimidating. <laughs> so I invite listeners to just, you know, pause this podcast or when it's over, just close your eyes and think if money were a person, who would it be? Because it was super eye-opening to me. I love that. And it does because that is a very intimidating and power and even the the whole the Prada aspect of it that that you in order to wear Prada, you have to have a certain financial situation going on. Exactly. I wonder too that right now there's a lot of uh talk, a lot of um I don't even know how to tell how to explain it really, but a lot of people are saying we don't need it, we don't need money, you just we're just gonna go without. And I don't think that's the answer. And that's my own personal opinion, not reflective of the show, not trying to offend anyone. But it doesn't have to be a negative and it doesn't have to be something that is some people have it and some people don't. Right. Exactly. And when you shift your energy and attitude around money, I do think miracles can take place, which leads to part two of my story. So I'm sitting in the vet. I'm finally seeing by the wonderful veterinarian. I love my veterinarian. And he does blood work and x-rays and every test known to man on this earth for Lily and to find out what's wrong with her. And I'm, you know, they take the dog, they take her out, they bring her back. So the whole time I'm in that little claustrophobic room reading this book. And he says, Ken Honda says in this book that the energy with which you pay a bill is very, very important because that's what you're sending out into the world. And how you look at your bills that you owe is really, really important too. So rather than looking at a bill and going, holy shit, how did this get so high? You want to say, I am so grateful I have a credit card that I can put this on. Or mm -hmm. I am so grateful that I have cash in the bank that I can pay this with. Instead of being you know, shameful about it or angry or upset or fearful. 
So I'm reading that and I'm thinking, okay, I know this vet bill is going to be astronomical, but Lily is my best little buddy and she's always been by my side. And I'm so happy that I have this beautiful office to take her to and this super kind, loving veterinarian. And I am so happy that I have the money to pay for this bill. So the bill comes, I pay it. It was eye-wateringly high. And mm-hmm. the whole time I'm texting my family on group chat, giving them updates on what's going on with Lily and sending them little pictures of her. My former husband texted me and said, I transferred money into your account to cover the bill. Hope everything. Oh, isn't that lovely? That is beautiful. Yeah. N- I would never ask that. I never expected that. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. And there it was. So I thought that was just a very personal example, but hopefully a positive one to show that when you have a positive attitude about money and you put that positive echo into the world, it comes back to you. And the gratitude part, you, there's no way to discount how amazing that can shift things for you. And quickly. Every, it, it really does. In my personal experience, you, your example is beautiful. That's something that I say all the time now is I'm so grateful. I can. I had a situation this past week that unexpected expenses come into everyone's lives. And it's just like, oh, how, where is this coming from? And I had to stop and say, it's good that I have the money to do this because there's been times when I haven't. And that when you don't have it, or when you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet, that leads to that stress, that anxiety, that fear, that resentment, all of those things, because it can become a fight or flight feeling of what am I going to do? There's no more Peter and Paul exchange going on here. Yes, exactly. Now, the other thing that helped me heal my money issues actually started with a bottle of Suave shampoo. Do you want to hear that story? I I would love to hear that story. (laughs) Okay. So I remember when I was getting ready to marry Mike and, you know, his family, they're all cops and firefighters from New York and my family's not. And I remember my mother-in-law took me out to lunch, oh, three months before the wedding. And she said, Samantha, you you don't really know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, no. And she said, well, I feel like you're going to get ready to learn that. And are you ready for that? Mm-hmm. And she was trying to ask me, like, do you know what it is to be married to a police officer and live on that very small salary? And P.S. Don't forget, you're a teacher. You're not exactly rolling in the dough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she said it so nicely, but I she was just worried, you know? So mm-hmm. I said, I I remember saying to her, oh, I, I think it's so romantic to not have a lot of money and to just like, you know, we're going to save up for our couch and then we're going to save up for the, the rug that I really want. And I thought that was so lovely and romantic. And so I get married and we do, we spend months saving up for the couch and the rug it took us like a year to furnish that house. And it was not romantic and it was not lovely. And living paycheck to paycheck those early years was not fun. And it was everything she had warned me about. And so the years go on and we have kids and, you know, we're paying for school and we're doing all of this. And it was very, very much a struggle. And my needs always came last. So I always bought like suave shampoo and conditioner, like the cheapest, the generic everything, you know, and my hair was looking like crap. And and I'm reading all these self-help books about, you know, it's not your money and, you know, all this spiritual stuff. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. So one day I just had this thought when I was meditating and it was, Samantha, invest in yourself. It's time to invest in you. 
And that's where I came up with that mantra. I, I say it all the time on my other podcast, Psychic Teachers. So you might've heard me say this, when you invest in you, the universe invests in you. So I went right to the salon and I bought the most expensive bottle of shampoo and conditioner I could find. And my hair looked great. And everything started to shift in my life. Everything. I got a little promotion at work, which is hard to do when you're a teacher. I got asked to do more conferences and presenting. Mike got a promotion. I got a freelance writing gig that paid really well. All of this little domino effect started to happen. And I swear it started because I was like, I'm going to invest in myself. And I know that's a shallow example, but I have a much better example that's nothing to do with me. So I say that all the time to friends and family. When you invest in you, the universe invests in you. And I have a friend who's, you know, she makes good money, but newly divorced, lots of bills on her trying to do the mortgage job. It's, it's hard. And she's got one of those ceiling jobs, right? Where like, you're not going to make any more. So she was looking for jobs and interviewing for jobs. I think she's perfect um, and wonderful and a perfect candidate. And she just wasn't getting anywhere with these jobs. And I was like, what the hell? So she goes to her doctor and her doctor's like, you know, you're, I can't remember if it was her cholesterol or blood pressure. One of those was a little bit high. And she was like, we can do this medicine that'll bring it down, but insurance doesn't cover it. Um, so it's up to you. And she was like, what do I do? And I was like, invest in you. Like what what better investment can there be than you, first of all? Mm -hmm. Secondly, what better investment can there be than in your health? And it was like, you know, when you can see the actual light bulb go off on someone's head? And she was like, yeah. So she went ahead and, and bought, the, I think it was like five, it was a lot. Like insurance in this country, Denise, why doesn't it cover anything? But she did it. And I'm not kidding, the next day, this job she had interviewed for, and they told her they went they went with someone else, called her and offered her that job with more money as like an apology for overlooking her the first time. Wow. Yeah. Then she goes to pick up her second prescription for that, I don't know, cholesterol, whatever medicine it was. And they're like, oh, by the way, we did this, this and that. And your insurance does cover it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm telling you, when you invest in you and you make yourself like not a pri I'm not saying like you have to come first and selfish and all of that, but when you look at you as as an investment, I'm worthy of this money. I work hard for this money. I think it does reap positive benefits. Right. Right. And and it can shift. I think that's really, really important when it's really dark or you have unexpected bills or a cost, or and you're right medical expenses are something that you don't have a choice about often. It's it's a matter of you do what you have to do. And is it messed up? Yes. You you nailed it a few minutes ago saying if it comes down to your health, your wellness, and your quality of life, you have to you have to prioritize that. Yes. And I think you I think when you invest in you and you you tell yourself, I'm worthy of whatever it is, this nice bottle of shampoo. I mean, that is such a shallow example, but it really is how it all started for me. Or whether it is in this medicine that's going to help me maintain my healthy lifestyle, you're sending a message to the to the world, but also to yourself and your heart and your soul. I'm worthy of this. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be prosperous and abundant. I deserve to face my anxieties and fears and shame about money or my level of where I think I am successfully right now. 
I deserve to take time to spend journaling, thinking, processing about that and healing it and releasing it because, you know, I'm, I'm an amazing soul who has a beautiful light to shine on this world. I think everyone needs to have that conversation with themselves. Having seen this in many circumstances, it's hard not to be resentful or angry or feel judged if you don't have the resources or people looking at you and saying, well, if they or she or he or would just do this, this, and this, they wouldn't have that quality of life. That's not, please try not to own that because you're not, you aren't what your financial situation is. That's just part of your life. It's not who you are. And I think so many people identify with the fact of what they have for resources or where they live or, and that's a hard one. That's a really, really difficult situation. But when you get down to the the fact that money really does equal survival for a lot of people, it's a completely different mindset. And it's hard not to fall into that, that fear or that sadness or even desperation. I mean, look at all the things people have done out of desperation just to try to keep going. I think once we get to the point where we realize this is where I am now, this is, I'm at ground zero, this is what I'm going to look at, then it allows the universe to step in and say, okay, let's start taking some steps in a new direction. Yeah, exactly. And and overcome the worry around, around all of that, because I think that worry really holds people back. My yeah. dad used to always say, why do you work to make money? Why do you make money to buy things? So don't worry, Samantha, you can always work and you can always buy things. He had this very flippant attitude about it that got him through life. And I, I don't know, it always was comforting to me. Like you can always work. But it depends on, Do you? I was having a conversation with one of my sons about this the other day. And he said, I'm not too proud to do, he has a really good job right now. He's happy, he's doing well. And he said, but if this all fell apart, he said, I'm not so important that I can't go and do something else to survive and make money. And I think that that's a really important life lesson is sometimes we might not be doing what we want to do or where we want to be, but we can be grateful that we have the opportunity to take care of ourselves or in our family. Yes, exactly. And I think there's so much honor in that, you know, and I think there's choices you every choice you make has a different impact. You know, like if you and I had stayed on the traditional path with our teaching careers, there's a lot of pluses to that. You know, there really are. And there are plenty of minuses. You and I chose to take a very different path that, you know, a lot of people don't really understand. And I think you are still like me where when we meet strangers, we struggle a little bit with that question. What do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And you know, but there are so many positives to working for yourself, but there's also a lot of risks and challenges and minuses that come with that too. So wherever you are on your path, if you're uh, just working for the paycheck right now, do try to find the honor in that because there there is a lot there. There's a lot to be said for that paycheck. And if you're hoping to take a different path and work for yourself, you know, set that as your goal, but know that there's challenges that come with that. Wherever you are, it, it it's not necessarily easy, but you, you've got to find the joy in it. Mick Jagger gave an interview years and years ago that I never forgot where he said, even being a rock star gets old. 
Oh and he talked about like the stress and boredom of being on tour and going from hotel to hotel. Now he did get a lot of pushback for saying that, but I, I took it and understood what he meant. You know, like every, every job at the end of the day becomes a job. So don't necessarily berate yourself for having a, a bore, a quote unquote boring job. There's a lot to be said for that too. It's all the attitude that you bring to it, the energy that you bring to it. And you know, you might not be able to bring a happy energy to work every day. Who can? So go easy on yourself, but try to even out or tip the balance of that so that more days than not, you are happy and looking forward to that job and switching your attitude about it. I always try to wake up in the morning and look for the joy in each day because I find for me, especially just raising my family and a lot of times I'll I'll wake up and I'm like, ugh, there's more have tos than want tos in my day. Do you ever think like that? Yes. Like I have yeah. to do this, I have to do this. And and I I always try to look for one want to in my day, whatever it is. It could be small, like I want to go to the gym or I want to take a walk with my friend today, or I want to sit and watch that cheesy reality show with my girls tonight. But to have to have one want in my day, <laughs> I'm good. And then I can handle all the other have tos. I think we have to be cognizant of the energy we bring into our workday each and every moment because that's going to affect the money. Going back to Ken Honda's book, he talks about being in that place of numbness, of just you shut it out, you may over-imbibe in different things to try to numb it out because you don't want to deal with it. But then he uses the next example of saying, if you watch little kids playing, you go to a playground, you watch little kids and they're so excited and they're running around and they're happy and they're filled with joy and they're completely and entirely in the moment. And he said, can you imagine putting that same energy towards money towards towards the money and he said when you in the example he gives which kind of made me smile was uh you know an employee gets a raise and they start jumping up and down like a little kid i got a raise i got a raise i mean finding the joy in it and he then he talks about the appreciation and love and for anyone who has had any financial struggles in their life if you get to a place where you're able to help people that you love without it being a burden on yourself, I don't think there's a better feeling in the world. If you know that if someone needs help, you can help them. And I'm not talking, you know, Scrooge McDuck kind of money swimming in the gold pile, but I'm just saying, even if someone says, wow, my my car broke down and uh, the bill is this and I don't have it. If you know you can help someone else with that, with what you have for resources, that's an incredible feeling. It really is. There's nothing like that when you're able to reach back. And and that's something I think everyone needs to consider with the money they're trying to manifest is think about all the good that you can do once you manifest that money. Right. Because none of what we're talking about is, uh, you know, getting on the, oh, you have to do this and you have to invest this and you have to do this. This is changing your relationship with yourself and with what money means to you. And finding when things were pretty dark and it was you know, very paycheck to paycheck and keep your fingers crossed till the next one comes. Way back in the day, they used to send out these little happy face stickers that would come and you'd get some kind of an ad in the mail and they'd send these little sheet of happy stickers. And I made this ritual when it was time to pay the bills is I would light a candle, I'd get a glass of water, I'd sit down, I would just like get my checkbook and I would write the check and each check I wrote, I would say, you know, I'm so grateful I can write this check and there's enough to cover it. 
And then I'd put one of those little happy stickers on the envelope when I sealed it. And I would just be, and it's going with joy. And I would just crack myself up with it. But that was part of my process of learning that I wasn't going to let money control me anymore, which goes back to all those negative, fearful places that we can go with it. That is such a great suggestion to to just sit down with that positive attitude and not let it control you. I think that's I think that's really hard. And I think people need to identify their their biggest fears around money. You know, what what is the root fear? Track it down all the way down, 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 down to the root. I, I was talking to a friend who's worried about money and she's at this point where she can retire from her teaching job, but she's like, do I push it a couple more years? And she was looking at the pension she's going to get and it's really not a lot, And she, but she doesn't want to keep working. You know, that's a hard place to be. And I said, well, what's your, what's your biggest fear around retirement? And she said, well, I just really want to have something to leave to my kids. And with this little pension, I don't think I'll have anything to leave them. And I, I've heard that a lot, especially from clients we've spoken to and listeners. I, I don't think I've, I, I don't know, to me, that doesn't, that does not matter what you, the financial stuff you leave to your kids. I, I think it's the time and the money that you leave to family, right? Rather than, than an inheritance. And we see so many people who are just working so hard and striving for retirement. And I, I don't know, retirement is not my goal. And inheritance, all that's just not on my plate. Is it on yours? <laughs> A big hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but this, you know, it does keep coming back to you can find happiness. You can change your, your relationship with money, but you really do have to decide so if if your joy, if what really brings you joy is to be able to go into a greenhouse or a garden center and pick out any plant you want and not have to look at the price tag and or you love a perennial garden or you're an herbalist or you just love and you you don't want to have to calculate, then that's your joy. That's where you want to put your resources, whereas someone else might need, like literally viscerally want and need to have the latest model car in the driveway, or they might need the the new spring colors that come out. Neither one is right or wrong. It's mm-hmm. just it's just you. So I don't tend to lean towards the bougie side, but I have no problem with people who do. I it just fascinates me a little bit. So it our priorities might be different, but it it's a really, really comes down to are you using this beautiful resource to bring you joy, happiness, and quality of life, or are you letting it hold you hostage? Yes, exactly. And to look at the quality of life you want to create. You know, I have a right. I have a family member. She's since passed, but she had a really, really stressful corporate job. And I don't know what happened to her in her 50s, but she was like, no. And she quit that job. And she got a job, I think as like a school secretary, just so she could have her summers off. And every summer she went to a different country. And by the time she passed away, I think she'd been to almost every continent. Wow. And, you know, did she make a ton of money? No. But was she happy, happy, happy? Yeah. And so I think it's important to look at that too, in terms of like, why am I working 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Is, you know, is what is the return I'm getting 
what is the energy exchange as you started off this show with with this this paycheck I'm earning and and start to think about your the life you want your money to create for and with you rather than the bills it's going to pay. Right. And equally with that, if you like working, if you like working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you don't have to make excuses for that either. Good it, point. Because I think some of those old negative loop tapes we can get on are, oh, money is bad. It's the root of all evil. It's just going to disappear anyway. It hurts people. It's scary. causes trouble. It, you know, it's the all of those things. But it can also be used to support, to bring joy, to help people realize their dreams, uh, to bring people together. I mean, there's so many... Don't you find that so many of the topics we talk about really comes back down to, are you willing to look in the mirror at yourself and say, this is what I truly believe. This is what I need to have in my life to be comfortable and happy. Yes. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. And for any, anyone out there who has always heard that phrase, I remember when I first learned this, I was shocked. So I just want to share for anyone who doesn't know the phrase money is the root of all evil. It's actually love of money is the root of all evil. And so hopefully that might be an aha moment for some people. Like it, I read that in a book years ago and I, I had to like look it up in the Bible because I'm like, no, because everybody says money <laughs> is the root of all evil. But it really it really is love of money is the root of all evil. And so when when you love money, you know, in that power hungry way, that's the root of evil. And I And I think that's so much, doesn't that shift it? So it, it so really does. And it allows you to get into that flow. And they talk about that in the book. But one of the things that he talked about was blind faith versus true faith and how different they are. Because How many times have you heard, just have faith, it's going to work out. And I have been in that place where I have repeated over and over, the Lord will provide. And it did, it helped, it worked. So I'm I'm not discounting that in any way. But when you have blind faith, you might be saying everything's going to work out and then just waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to change. Whereas if you have true faith, it allows you to put your faith in ourselves and our abilities and use that knowledge about how money actually works to make sure we can move forward in a more positive direction. It kickstarts. It gives you that nudge to say, I know that my faith is in, yes, the Lord will provide, but also I have the strength within myself to get on the other side of this. I don't know why I keep thinking of that famous George Carlin set where he's like, where he's talking about God and he's like, why does he always need money? (laughs) (laughs) I watched that recently. I was cracking up actually. (laughs) So I don't know if the Lord will always provide, you know, because sometimes you got to go through some difficult stuff. And I think it's just part of our, our soul plan. And I think what you just said is so wonderful and can apply to all areas of our life. Because when you have blind faith, you're in a passive position. When you have true faith, you're in a active position. So true faith is everything's going to work out because I'm a co-creator. And that's going to keep your energy really primed to be on the lookout and receptive to opportunities that are coming your way. Because ultimately, it's us. It's us. It's us who's going to save the day for ourselves. Right. And I think and we have to remember that. We do. And, you know, there are ways to create flow in your life. And this is from his book, but donating money. And that can go back to if you're in a religious situation, tithing. But 
donating to a charity, something you believe in, something you want to help, it's a great way to get that flow going. If you have an abundance, you don't have to be afraid. Find a group or a charity that really means something to you because you're going to believe in it. Uh, give money to your friends and not just, oh, look how fat my wallet is. It's more just give it from your heart, not with the expectation of it coming back to you. Send a gift to someone that you love or care about unexpectedly. It's not their birthday. It's not you know, their anniversary or an event just because you love them as a human being and a friend. Another suggestion was give something extra always. Uh, If you're in a situation where there's a minimum that you're expected to give, maybe just reach a little deeper or do a little bit more or provide a little bit more. Because I think, don't I mean, maybe I'm off on this, but I kind of think that a lot of this is just the generosity and kindness we may give in other aspects of our lives is going to parallel with our financial situation. So if you're offering a service and you give a little bit extra or you put a little bit of extra time into it, is that going to help increase your abundance as well? Oh, 100%. I have a whole section. I have a little e-course on my website called Manifesting Money Miracles. And I have a whole section on this called Spiritual Tithing and i've been reading about this for years it's and it doesn't even have to be money it's just every week the concept of spiritual tithing is you look at someone or something that brought you joy that week and you give back to that something or someone and that really has been shown to increase abundance but i'm also a huge fan of anonymous gifting yes there's something about that that really does make you so freaking happy and it does send echoes of abundance out that come back to you and when I was teaching at the community college, I always tried to braid in my metaphysical views into class, but in a way that would not get me fired. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of extra credit. And I would, every semester, every class, they'd say, what can I do for extra credit, Ms. Faye? And I would say, I want you to do something anonymously for someone and write me a little essay about it. And of course, they'd all roll their eyes. And I had this one guy in class and he was this he was um had a dangerous job. What is that called? Where you climb trees and you cut them down? I can't remember the the name of that, but it's a oh it, well, it could be an arborist, it could be a for, uh, forester, it could be a okay. A, I can't remember the name, but it was a dangerous big job, and he was a big guy, and um he did not want to be in an English class, but he had to as part of the the degree he was seeking. So he rolls his eyes, but let me tell you, he needed the extra credit. So he had a friend, he was trying to get him a job because this was a dangerous job and it paid well, but it also needed really expensive equipment. You needed these special shoes and they were very, very expensive. So this kid, he couldn't have been more than 20, buys a pair of these expensive shoes for his friend and leaves them at the front door and just says, good luck on your new job. Oh, And the, it was like the most beautiful essay I'd ever read. What was even more beautiful, though, was the smile on his face when he handed me that piece of paper and told me. And he said, "Miss Faye, do you know he's been working there two weeks and he still doesn't know it was me? And he said, I, he said I'm never going to tell him it was me because I get so happy listening to him going on and on about miracles and his faith in God being renewed. And does he have an angel? And it was just so neat to see this like Aww. big macho guy like just melted over this anonymous gesture he gave. And so I think there's something beautiful that happens when we're able to do that. Yes. Yes. And I think too is buy from 
from people, buy from small businesses, go to get services from people that you like. If you are happy to give people your money, that's increasing the flow as well. Whereas if you're resentful, you think, oh, it's just corporation, it's big money, it's big box. And I'm not saying good or bad or indifferent with either of those, but just pay attention to how you feel when you're paying for something or giving or or who where your money is going, because that can help you increase your flow as well. Your story about the buying the special boots for the co-worker is incredible because he wasn't looking for accolades. It wasn't going to, but I would put bank on the fact, no pun intended, that it came back to him. Oh, that, that gesture. Yeah. Uh, and and of course, my favorite is always be grateful. Just as silly as it sounds, when you can volley back a grateful, it is phenomenal what the universe will do for you. Yeah, that is so, so true. Remember that famous old legend of the angel giving a tour of the different rooms in heaven? And and he's like, this is the room where we receive all the prayer requests and it's busy and humming and thrumming with angels and prayer requests flowing in. And and he's showing them all the different rooms of people asking for stuff from God, goddess, source, whatever you want to call it. And all the this is the room where we handle miracles. This is the room where we handle health requests. And he takes the person narrating this little legend story to this one room and it's empty. There's just a little angel sitting at a desk kind of twiddling her thumbs. And the person says, what happens in this room? And the angel says, this is where we receive the thanks for the prayer requests that have been granted. Oh, I know. So, makes, it always makes me sad. A Catholic must have written that because that's a good guilt story. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're feeling fearful about, well, what's the point because the world is collapsing and there's, you know, pessimism, doom and gloom. And we, we if money is, you know, we don't need money, but maybe think about what it would be like in a world without the fear of lack of money. And that's a quote from Ken Honda as well. And the key is the difference. If you're, you know, we're getting to a place, this is, it says right in the book, we're getting to a point in our collective consciousness when we're no longer linking money with freedom. We no longer need money to feel happy, safe, and free. We know this because we know that happiness, security, and personal autonomy is an inside job. And all it requires is that we be present, that we be engaged in the moment, and that we use our time and talents to do what we love with the whole AI and will there be jobs and we're going to be outsourced, but there's also, are you going to choose a pessimistic and scarcity mindset or are you going to, and go into, Oh, doom and gloom and blame, or are you going to say, I think I'm going to choose the direction I want to go in my life with this because we really do have the power to choose how, how we want to step into the future. We do. And 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 if I could step on my nerd box for a second, if you look at history, we've gone through these huge shifts before and, and we've always come out fine. You know, when cars were invented, all the people who made horseshoes and carriages freaked out or made saddles, but all we, they found new work and new jobs. And it is scary and it is terrifying. But I do think that these shifts and changes throughout history force us to shift and change and grow. And so whatever you focus on is what expands. And so if you focus on the good news that's going on in the world and the positive opportunities for change that are being offered to you now, that's what's going to expand. Yeah, there's a lot of fear right now. Yeah, the energy is super funky and off the wall right now. But I think if we focus within on that still small voice and that center of peace within you and that 
that attitude of gratitude for just being the amazing, wonderful person you are, that's what's going to expand and grow, not the fear, not the worry and the anxiety. Right. And this sounds hokey as hell, so please forgive me, but it really does come down to the relationships we have with each other, with ourselves, and are we living in a place of joy and love, or are we living in a place of fear and control? And it doesn't have to be either or. It really doesn't. But if all the money disappeared, and what would really, really matter in your life? For me, it would be the the number one thing I pray about every day is that the people I love are safe and healthy. Number one. It yes. has nothing to do with, with money or bank accounts or status or degrees. Are they safe, healthy, and happy? That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, we hope we've given you guys a lot to think about and chew on and, and invest in for yourself. We'd love to hear your feedback. Once again, the book we've been discussing is called Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money by Ken Honda. Uh, we hope we that you enjoy the book as much as Denise and I did. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.